So, here's the title of my message today. Uh, they, you know, they asked me, uh, uh, Ken came back and asked me, uh, you know, the title of my message, and this is it. Um, a last-minute sermon, Kent has COVID. I write, I write, the, tar, I write the title up in the upper right-hand corner of, of my sermon, and that's what I wrote down there. I got, the, I got a call. Uh, 11, well, actually, I got a call earlier in the day. Here's what happened. Ginny and I went for a walk yesterday. It was so stinking nice out. Um, we had uh, a calm Christmas when we were supposed to go over to um, Oberlin's house. And then when Andy got sick, um, well, that went down the, the toilet. And so, you know, we didn't go over there. So after... After, uh, you know, the breakfast here, we went home, and it was just the two of us, and uh, it was a very nice, calm day. Jenny took a nap, and, uh, uh, and I, uh, I turned on mindless TV. What was it? Life Below Zero. There you go. Uh, because I wanted to revel in the fact that we weren't below zero, uh, you know, and I did. So when she got up, I said, "Why don't we go for a walk?" So we went for a walk, and I put my phone in my coat, in my inside coat pocket. And when I got home, I promptly forgot my phone was in my inside coat pocket. And uh, while I napped, while Jenny napped in the bedroom, and I napped while Life Below Zero was playing, um, I got some phone calls and had no idea because it was inside my coat, inside the closet. And I was sleeping. So when I got up, you know, then to go to bed later, um, you know, you do that. You sleep in a chair and you take a little nap and you wake up to go to bed. I thought, I don't have the phone. So I went and got my phone out of my coat. And I have all these calls and messages. You know, Kent's trying to get a hold of me. And uh, Sarah then is trying to get a hold of me. And then Marcy is trying to get a hold of me because they got a hold of Marcy to find out where their dad is. And then some other people got a hold of me about some other issues and stuff. And I had, and it's 1130 at night. And I thought, well, who do I call back? Well, I'm calling Sarah. So I called Sarah. And uh, I found out 1130 last night Kent has COVID and won't be doing the message that he was going to do. Jenny said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go to bed because we may as well get a good night's sleep over this. Uh, here, here's the deal. I've been, I've been telling you guys for years. God is not surprised one single bit by what we're in the midst of. What is a surprise to us is not a surprise to God. 11.30 last night, God wasn't going, oh man, what, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do with him? I, you know, he knew. And God had taken me earlier in the week. God had taken me to the place where I decided I wasn't going to worry about this stuff. Because earlier in the week, you know, um, we had already had planned, you know, before we got to this week, we had already planned that Kent was going to preach. And then as we got to the week, it was really apparent that it was a good thing because I didn't. The, the week just, I didn't have time. It sounds goofy, doesn't it? I didn't have time to to work on a sermon. You know, I was working on a Christmas Eve service. I was, you know, working on, on uh, Paul's funeral and other things. And it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't there. It wasn't going to happen. Um, and 
I told Ginny, I said, I decided I am not going to stress about this because you know what? It isn't going to make any difference at all. Me getting worked up is not going to help. It is not going to make any difference at all. All it will do is aggravate me and everyone around me because I'll aggravate them. So I'd already decided that. So at 11.30 last night, when Jenny said, what are you going to do? Yeah, hey, I was already in that zone. I'm going to bed, I said. You know, so anyway, while I was laying in bed, I thought, well, what are we going to do, Lord? Yeah, what are you thinking? And um, Kent was going to preach, uh, you see there, did he put the scripture passage down? He was kind of going to follow up a little bit, uh, yeah, from Luke chapter 2. He was going to follow up a little bit, you know, on, on what would come after the Christmas thing. Maybe we'll let him do that sometime. Um, but, you know, at this point, um, I thought, let's look at John's view, version, accounting of what we think of as the Christmas story. Tammy read it for you already. Uh, John chapter 1. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, I have no idea what page it's on because I didn't look in, in, in the Pew Bible. So it's in the Pew Bible. Uh, trust me. It's in the Pew Bible. John chapter 1. Page 9 what? 975 in the Pew Bible. And again, if it's on your app, flip there, wherever it is. We're going to be in John chapter 1. Uh, and we're going to walk through... Um, through this, uh, it is John's view of the incarnation. But here, let me tell you this. It is John's view of the incarnation as given by God. You see, don't forget that part. Okay, don't forget that part. For the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, at Matthew's view of the, the incarnation. Incarnation just means enfleshment of, of, of God taking on flesh. Jesus taking on flesh and coming here to this world. That's, that's all that means. So for the last, four, the last four weeks, we've been looking at what Matthew had to say about it. We've been looking at what Luke had to say about it. Uh, today, we're going to look at what John has to say about it. All of those, you know, as, as uh, you know, given by God, as directed by God, because it's Scripture. It's Matthew's, you know, Matthew's version, has, as God had, had Matthew's uh, view on it and take on it, and used Matthew to give that perspective used Luke to give that perspective and here he used John to give a, a, a different perspective if you will all right so verse one and I, I, I'm going back and forth a little bit on how to how to go through this so uh, just bear with me uh, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God now um, there's a few things here that, that I want you to see. Um, you know, the first is, you know, Jesus as the word, when it uses the word as the, theologically, the, the, the word means the revealer of God. You know, and this is, this is the picture there. Now notice what it says about, notice what it says about him. The word was with God, you know, as, as God himself. Uh, you know, from our viewpoint, we say, you know, he's a part of God. Uh, the reality is, uh, you know, that, that he is a part of God, yet also completely God himself. See, there's the reality. He is a, a, a you know, a, a, a part. We, we look at it as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, we say one God, three persons, and we go, what are you talking about? You know, we get a little confused and, and bamboozled. Uh, don't be. Uh, you know, the, as we look at it here, the reality is that, that he is part of God, yet, yet also completely God himself. He is no less God. 
He is no less God because we refer to him as God the Son. He is no less God at all. Now, as we look at this, you know, it says in the beginning. Scientifically, all things, all things have a beginning. Yet scientifically, all things have a cause greater than themselves. You know, I mean, it is there because of, of something greater than themselves. Uh, pick whatever you want. You know, the, the, this, this is here because something greater than itself made it. Uh, you can pick that out for anything. You know, something is there because uh, something greater than itself has, has made it. I have been fascinated by um, there's some construction going on on Washington Center. And this has happened. This has happened in a lot of places, but the one on Washington Center has just really gotten my attention. So what they're doing on Washington Center, and they've done this around town, maybe even in your neighborhood, they are doing directional boring, is what they call it. So directional boring is this machine goes and it, it, it sends this snake, for lack of a better term, through the ground. And, you know, and they, 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 are, they have uh, detectors where they sense how high it is and how low it is. So they're missing all of the other things underground. They're missing the sewer lines. They're missing the gas lines. They're missing the water lines. Uh, and they can run this through there. And then it comes up on the other side. They attach a pipe to it. And then they pull this pipe back through the ground. The one they are doing in Washington Center is massive. It is, that thing's like this big around. And it seems to be metal to me. Now, they have a, a bigger machine, but I am, I am amazed that they can do this. That they can pull that through the ground like that. Now, the only reason they can pull that through the ground like that is because they have a machine that is bigger and stronger than the resistance that is there and is able to do that. You see, so a, a scientific principle is if there, if there is something there, there is something bigger that, that has caused it to be there. There is something more powerful than what you see that has caused it uh, to be there. And, 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 you know, so as you look at this, everything, you know, that was created has this cause bigger than itself. Then, then the dilemma is, what is the first cause of everything we have? There's the scientific dilemma, you know, what or who, you know, began it all, you know, uh, you know, all that we see and all that we know. This cause that began everything has to be greater than all we see and know, which is increasing each day. What we see and what we know is, is increasing each day. God is the most logical conclusion. Now, yep. science tells us that our universe had a beginning. You know, they have different they have different theories on it, but, but science tells us that you know our universe had a beginning. Something bigger than the universe then had to be the creator. Science also tells us. Uh, that we have a very finely tuned universe. If any of many different variables 
being not only the axis of the earth but the rotation of the earth the position of the moon the position of some of the other planets and their gravitational pull on the earth and, and all of these other things and the, the scientists tell us more as they study these things more and more they tell us and give us more information that if any one of these things were off kilter life would not be able to exist on this planet so as I as, as I look at that and and I and I begin to see that and I begin to think about these things and if these are altered just slightly life here would not be able to exist then there must have been somebody who put it in place so that it is finally tuned enough for us to be able to live here a cause greater than what we see and that is God this is the God we are talking about. This is the God we are looking at. The God who created this finely tuned universe that brought forth and sustains life here on this planet that we call Earth. And notice it says that the Word was with God and that the Word is this God. He goes on, he says... He was with God, he was uh, with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. You see, this word that he's talking about tells us it is, it is also the creator. Being creator is a quality of God. That is, you know, that, that is a quality of God. You know, the scientific, really, and logical first source of all we see and of all there is would be God. It says the Word is the creator of all these things. Now, some, not all, scientists reject God. You know, some scientists reject God. Not all scientists reject God. You know, uh, certainly some do, but some, uh, you know, those, those who reject God because they, they feel that God, um, you know, uh, 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 how they would see it, a concept of God as we describe him, uh, they would, some would say that contradicts science. Yet, logically, and I would say even scientifically, uh, God is the only logical scientific conclusion as the originator of all we have and all we see. Particularly, and this has been exciting to me, as science learns more. And they say that our earth had a beginning. And if our earth, and, and if, if all of, not just our earth, but all that was created had a beginning, if it had a beginning, that means you don't have, given infinite time, a thousand monkeys in a room banging on keys, you know, for eternity. You don't have eternity anymore. You see, you have a fixed parameter of time. It just speaks more and more of the God that we have, the God we have, the God that is explained here in, in, in 1 John. The one who there all things were created from him and apart from him not one thing is created that has been created. This word is that creator. Verse 4. Life was in him and that life was the light of men. Now, it's still talking about the word here. You know, he is the originator. Notice what it says. Life was in him. He's the originator, the, the, the creator, the sustainer, the very source of life. Life was in him. He's that source, that, that sustainer. And it says the Lord, the, the, 
that life was the light of men. He's still talking about the word here. What he began talking about at the beginning, he's still talking about here. You know, he's still talking about the word, you know, that it's the light of men. Light reveals things. Light exposes. Light makes things clear. You know, light helps us to see. Uh, when I took the COVID test this morning, um, the instructions, part of the instructions on there say, get a flashlight to examine the little, the, you know, if you got these little lines, you know, get a what? Bring light. Why? Because light helps us to see. Light exposes. Light, light helps us to begin to make sense of things. This is the picture he's giving us here. You know, that the, the, he is, the, the, you know, the light of men exposes, makes things clear. You know, that, that it was a, uh, light and darkness are, are, are opposites. You know, he, he goes, uh, verse 5, he says, light shines in the darkness. They're opposites. But he tells us, you know, before he says that, you know, that this life was in him, the light of men, life was in him as a part of him, you know, as a part of him, a part of his very being. Life was a part of his very being. Now, it's interesting how uh, this corresponds very well with the creation account in Genesis. Life was in him as creator, and it's, it's how that corresponds, with, you know, in Genesis where it says, you know, that, that God said, over and over again, you see that phrase repeated in Genesis, and God said, and God said, and God said. And bam, it happens. And here it is, life was in him. You know, and again, verse 5, light, that, that light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. The light and darkness, you know, they are opposites. But light always wins. Did you ever notice that? If you are in a dark place, in a cave, in your car, in wherever it might be, if you are in a dark place and you turn on the light, what happens? Darkness leaves. The light always wins. And here, you know, he says, you know, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it, overcome it, uh, did not did not grasp it, did not comprehend it. Uh, you know, it did. The, the, the darkness did not overtake it. Uh, uh, you know, it literally, it means to lay hold of, uh, to appropriate. The darkness was was not able to able to uh, to win, you know, to get that. He says, uh, verse six. There was a there was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. Now he's speaking about John the Baptist here. He's not speaking about John the author of the gospel. He's talking about John the Baptist here. Uh, you know, the the one who was gifted as a forerunner of Jesus. You know, he was gifted to be the, the, the one who came first. And his responsibility, his, his ministry for God was to be a witness, to testify to that light. To be a witness, to testify uh, to the word, to testify to Jesus. Notice what the goal is. So that all might believe. John was to testify to who Jesus was. Why? So that all might come to belief. We are called, you know, we are called to be, uh, to, to be a witness to the light. Uh, you know, John's ministry was very specific and, and certainly different than ours in details. But it is exactly the same in purpose. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, after, 
you know, after Jesus' death and resurrection, and then you get in and and he's talking to his followers. He says, but in, in Acts one verse eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. There it is. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's the thing: you will be my witnesses. Now, you you, you are his witness. You're a good one or you're a lousy one, but you are his witness. Your children, your children are learning from you what God is like by watching your witness, by watching you. Your grandchildren are watching, are, are learning what, the, what God is like by watching you. Your neighbors are watching and seeing what God is like by watching you. You're, those, those who you work with, those who you go to school with, those who you associate with, you are being a witness to them. And if they know that you have a relationship with God, they are watching you and they are learning what it means to have a relationship to God. They are learning what God is like by watching you. You will receive power when that Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Isaiah also has a very interesting prophecy on this same topic of being a witness. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. Isaiah 43, 10. You are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration. And my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me. And there will be none after me. The uniqueness of God. He is the only creator. There was none before him. There will be none after him. All the others who come along are fakes and frauds. He goes on, verse 8 in, in, in John. Verse 8, he says, uh, He was not the light, speaking of John the Baptist. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now, John the Baptist was very clear. He was very clear that he was not the Messiah. He was very clear he was not the light. He was simply a witness. A witness is one who testifies to what they have seen and what they know. When you, if you are a witness in court, they, they call you to the stand and they said, Tell me what you have seen. Tell me what you know about this. Now, here's what they do. They listen to what you have to say, and then what do they do? They call another witness. They ask this other witness the same thing. Tell me what you have seen. Tell me what you know about this. And then they're done. What do they do? They call another witness. And they continue to do that until they feel that all of these witnesses have given a, a, a much fuller picture. And as you put those together, you get a much fuller picture of what really went on. And then the court tries to make a determination. This is how God works with us as a witness. There have been so many people that have poured into my life to help me come to know Christ and help me come to, uh, come to grow in Christ. And as I think about each one of them, they have each filled in a little bit, a little part. Now, now some we would say certainly have filled in bigger parts and bigger pieces, but you know what? They, others have come in and given me some of those pieces that I didn't quite get sometimes. Or I, I didn't quite understand. I have learned things from, you know, from, from, toddlers all the way on up through I, yeah, and some that I, that I still remember uh, you know and 
one of my grandsons was up here and uh, playing and messing around and you know you think he's not even paying attention and I had mentioned in the sermon about um, it was the time that I, had, I told you guys about when I lied to Ginny uh, when we were dating you know and that I had told you you know to my knowledge I, I have not lied to her since then because when I was when it you know hit me in the face and she was looking right at me it was like yeah, we're not going there again okay so Afterwards, my grandson looks at Jenny and says, why did Papa lie? It didn't even seem he was paying attention there. You know, he's horsing around in a pew doing all sorts of other things that, 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 you know, that, that, that little kids do. All those little pieces, see, sometimes we think we think that we're not a witness to somebody. But all of those little all of those little pieces, you are filling in somebody's picture of what God is like. You are filling that in. You know, you, you, you are that witness. John the Baptist was doing that. He was part of that witness. And all of us are testifying to someone. Uh, you know, uh, 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 here's the deal you need to remember, you need to know. You are testifying about someone or something. Okay? You are testifying about someone or something as people watch you and watch your life. You are testifying to God or you're, and, and that God is real and has a place in your life or you're testifying against God. And that he doesn't have a place in your life and that he really isn't real. You are testifying to one of those two things. Well, you know, I'm just neutral. No, you're not. Christ is very clear that, you know, you're either for him or you're against him. There is no, there is no middle ground. There is no sitting on the fence. And I'll, I'll tell you once again what I've told you before. There is no such thing as a gray area. There is no such thing as a gray area. God is not the least bit confused about what he wants. He is not the least bit confused about what he wants in your life. He is not the least bit confused about the circumstances you're facing. We may be confused. All that means is you what? Need more light. You need to pursue him more. You need to understand more what he wants. You are being that witness. You know, the question for us is what are we testifying about? You know, what is it that we're testifying about? He goes on verse 9. He says, true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. You know, that now the Word is the only true light. You know, as he's, he's continuing here to talk about the Word, the Word is the true light. He's the only true light. The others are counterfeits. The others are imposters. Remember, you know, the others are posers. Remember what the goal of a counterfeit is. The goal of a counterfeit, the goal of a counterfeit is to make you think that it is real. To make you think that it is authentic. To make you think that, that, it, it, that, that, that it has the value of what the real thing does. You know, and anyone who comes along who is not the true light is trying to make you think that they have the answer and, and they are. You know, and, and, you know, the, the word, you know, what, what the word has is available to everyone. I like that. The true light who gives light to everyone. What the word has is available to everyone. Some will reject it. And some will reject it outright. Some will reject it through neglect. They get caught up in other things. 
They value other things as more important. You know, some will do it through through neglect. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Here's the beginning. Here's part of the picture of the incarnation. Here's part of the picture of John's, you know, uh, John's picture uh, uh, of the birth of Messiah. He goes on, verse 10, he says, He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. See, after Jesus came into the world, after he came into the world, uh, you know, his words were pretty clear. You know, and his witness was obvious. Now, some still did not recognize him as Messiah. It says here he came to his own. He came, first of all, to the Jews, to the Jewish. Paul talks about this in Romans. But he came, first of all, you know, to the Jews. The Jewish leaders did not recognize him as the Messiah. They officially rejected him. And their, you know, their insistence on the crucifixion is pretty clear evidence that they officially rejected him. You know, know, their rejection, though, notice, remember, their rejection is what God used to bring about our salvation. God was still in control, and God was still working, and he was bringing about our salvation. That comes up in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, to those who who believe in his name. The contrast, you know, the, the contrast here, you know, there's those who there's those who rejected, and here you have the contrast of those who did believe, those who received him, those who received him as Messiah, you know, uh, received, he gives you the explanation right there of what he means, those who received, those who believed in his name, those who believe in his name. That's what he's talking about with, with those who receive, you know, and he says those who believe, those who receive, believe, are given the right to be children of God, actual full members of his family. Actual full members of his family. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Adoption as sons. Every time I see that adoption, I just am pulled back again to Jill Elliott when we when we baptized her. That's behind the screen is the baptismal. So when we did her baptism, and you know, I I, I just asked her, you know, can you tell us about your relationship to Christ? And the way she related it to us was she told us that when she was when she was a child, she was adopted. By her parents, and she said, as she grew up, and I loved, I love this picture. As she grew up, she always thought of herself as more special to her parents because she said they chose me. She said the others, she just they just had, but they chose me. And she said that to her, what she told us was, you know, she related that to what we're looking at right here. That we are adopted as his children. Let me read that verse to you again. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself. He specifically chose us. And it says as sons. There's the full members of his family. And again, you know, some of you, I mean, you've heard me say this before, and if you didn't, well, 
pay better attention this time. Um, the, here's the picture. Adopted as sons. Some of the translations, some of the modern translations say children. You're getting cheated out of what God says there. In, in this verse. Some verses he does say children. You know, but when he says that we, that we are adopted, that, that, you know, when he talks about it here, and he, and he says we are adopted to himself as sons. In their society, sons had the, had the preeminent privileged position. Now, don't get all honked off because it's sexist. Don't do that. Understand it in, in the society to which they were writing. Understand it into the society in which they were writing. In the society to which they were writing, the sons had a privileged position. He doesn't say here, he does not say here that only the males of the species are adopted as sons into God's family. He says to every single one who believes to every single one who receives him male or female are adopted as sons male or female are adopted into this privileged position in God's family there's the picture that he's given us when he says that he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name there he's talking about that you know, what we have and we have that privileged position as sons he goes on i didn't think this was going to take this long verse 13 uh, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man but of god now when he says not not born of blood uh literally it says not born of bloods a, a, a plural statement some of your some of your um, uh, translations may have a footnote there or maybe your study bibles if, if your study bible has a footnote that's different than this scratch it out with a pen um anyway it's literally it's blood it's plural it's it's the plural form you know there and it it refers either to you know to well as as the footnote will tell you on some of them either a, a, a literal descendant of you know of 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 a mother and father or it could refer to the Old Testament sacrifice where they would give the Old Testament sacrifice and they would, you know, they would have a standing with God because of that Old Testament sacrifice, uh, you know, and those other sacrifices. Neither of those, neither one of those is the basis for a relationship with God. He says, who were born not of blood. Your, your physical lineage is not is not a, a, a standard is 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 not a qualification for a standing with God. Those sacrifices, those Old Testament sacrifices, were were not were not a, a, a standard for a, a standing with God. It's that relationship to God is what he's talking about here. That relationship with Him and that knowing Him and that receiving Him and having that and that is is your your basis for standing with God. Ephesians chapter two, uh, you know, it says it's not done of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine, familiar to some of you. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourself; it is God's gift, not of works so that no one can boast you see it's not of the will of the flesh it's not of the will of man but it's a, a, of god that god gives us God gives it it's by grace through faith that gift of god that comes there and he goes on verse 14 the word became flesh there it is john's version of the birth of christ i told you you know as we went through matthew and and, and luke for such a monumental event 
It's such a brief description all the time. Just such a brief description. You know, and, and, you know, and, and there's John's version of it. The Word became flesh. I don't know. I just think it should be a little bit more. But, you know, by that I don't mean that God should have done it differently. You know, what I'm saying is, you may have noticed, sometimes I use more words than I need to. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, the Word became flesh, took up residence among us. There's that picture of it right there. Emmanuel, God with us. Wow, what, what a picture. You know, he took up residence among us. Residence among us is a theme that God has from Genesis through Revelation. In Genesis, what happened? He created what? This garden. Why? Man and God were living together in the garden. And he creates it. And, and you see that theme running over and over again. Man, you know, so the, the, then man throws a you know, big monkey wrench into works and the things fly apart, blow apart. And they're expelled from, the, from, the, you know, from having to be in the presence of God because they would have had to die because they were sinners. Well, then, you know, as they're going on, and, and, you, know, they get, they, they, you get this whole cycle of, of, hey, we're good, hey, we're bad, hey, we're good, hey, we're bad. And um, they become, then they, 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 you know, fall into slavery and they go wandering. What does God do? God, God, God says, uh, you know, Moses, dude, build this, get this tabernacle. When I said, dude, that's so you know it's a paraphrase. Um, you know, he says, you know, buddy, build this, build this tabernacle. Why? So that I can dwell among my people. God with man. I want to dwell among my people. They moved, they moved into the land. When they got into the promised land, what was it? You know, Solomon's going to build what? My temple. Why? So I can dwell among my people. Sin continues to mess it up, and it does. So then what happens? Great thing in the very beginning uh, of, the, of the New Testament, what we've just been looking at, the incarnation. God with us. You say, well, you know, well, he he does live with us now, and he does live in, will live in us now. But then you get to the book of Revelation, and, and and what happens? Man goes to live with God. God and man together. There's the picture that you see right here. You know that he came to dwell among us. He came, this made his residence among us. And it says, you know, we observed his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus himself is the source of truth. He is the source and he is the truth himself. John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father, but through me. And that word, that truth became flesh. You know, Jesus, there's the picture, Jesus the one John had been talking about here all along. The Word became flesh. Verse 15, John testifies concerning him and exclaimed, This is the one of whom I had said, The one who comes after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. John the Baptist testifies concerning the Messiah, that, he, that Jesus always existed. He is the Eternal One. He says, Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh, Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. Jesus is God. 
Jesus is the revealer of God. John 14, verse 9. Philip says, show us the Father. Show us the Father. We don't, you know, we're confused what's going on. And Jesus said, have I, you know, have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he came and made his dwelling among man. This is the God we worship. This is the God we remember his birth of at Christmas. This is the God to whom we give our lives and give our heart. Not a foolish endeavor, but the wisest choice you'll ever make. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for your grace to us. I'm so grateful that we, uh, we are privileged to not just know about you, but to know you. Help us to know you even better. To never give up, never walk away, never stray. But to walk hand in hand with you now and each and every day you give us. And when we find ourselves wandering, to once again come to you. Thank you for that grace, forgiveness, and love. Thank you for yourself, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.